Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Cassandra, and welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, February 14th. After a month-long wait, thousands of Alaskans have gotten their food stamps, but thousands more are still waiting. The state says it's making progress, but admits it's skipping some federal requirements to do that. Claire Strempel reports from Juneau. Mary Ruth Moore of Soldatna has been waiting on her food stamps since she reapplied for herself and her four children in October. In a way, I feel like I've kind of become a scientist in the kitchen, trying to, you know, make things go further. Since then, she's been watering down crockpot meals to stretch the food she has. So what that's boiled down to is less vegetables, um, less fruits, and especially the, you know, fresh ones. The state's food stamp backlog began in August with a flood of 8,000 applications after the pandemic health emergency lapsed. State officials say the Division of Public Assistance is working through the backlog faster now, but Alaskans say that months of going without have left them with debt and fears for the future. More is still waiting. It's a very powerless feeling um, to know that the situation you're in is so dependent, but There's no one to reach out to. There doesn't seem to be any accountability. Moore says she's been relying on credit cards to get through. She says she worries about how she'll pay them off and knows thousands of other people are going through the same thing. Moore connected with Alaska Legal Services, the state's largest provider of civil aid, and filed a case last week. Alaska Legal Services Advocacy Director Lee Dickey says they file 20 to 30 new cases a day, and it's not slowing down. No. It's just booming. No, it hasn't tapered at all. She says they had 200 complaints last month, and they're taking on more pro bono lawyers to help handle the workload. They help Alaskans who've been waiting too long file a case with the state and get their benefits. It is January 24th, 2023. This is the first Health and Social Services Committee from the Senate. At legislative briefings in late January, leaders from the Department of Health blamed the backlog on its technology and the effects of a cyber attack on the department in May of 2021. Deputy Commissioner Emily Ricci said the department has finished issuing food stamps to people who applied in September and is working on October applications. The team is currently working through October recertifications and saw the number of recertifications being processed daily increase substantially last week, which is positive. Eligibility workers who spoke with KTOO say chronic understaffing is behind the slowdowns. But they did agree they have been working faster. They say it's because leadership directed them to skip mandatory federal processing requirements. Deb Etheridge, the new director of the state's Division of Public Assistance, says the department is doing everything it can to get people their benefits. We're, we're taking all measures that we can to expedite this food stamp recertification process. Skipping some verifications has risks, both to recipients and to the state. If people get larger benefits than they should, they'll have to reimburse the government later. And Etheridge acknowledges the state could get fined by the federal government. But she says they aren't hiding shortcuts from the federal government. We are talking with our federal partners and engaged with them. And they're aware of steps that we're taking. And there may be some sanctions, uh, uh, perhaps. But uh, it's nothing that we're doing without full awareness and transparency. Department of Health doesn't say understaffing is a root cause of its backlog. But it recently made more than 50 hires. Etheridge says they're also contracting with new workers to answer phones and fix the computer problems they say are behind the slowdown. But she says her larger goal is to build a department that won't experience this kind of backlog again. Ideally, it's 
uh, a one-touch processing for all applications, which means that individuals who are applying for benefits can call or they can apply online and they can get um, immediate feedback. Natalie Richards of Soldatna had her benefits restored in January after five months of waiting. She says the experience left her with credit card debt and nagging fears that it could happen again. It's really frightening to live that way, thinking that your basic needs of food and shelter aren't going to be met. She says state services are failing the most vulnerable Alaskans. She says people need better from state leaders. They they still go home and eat their dinner, you know. I mean, what about what about the people they were responsible and to look out for? She says she's grateful the state paid her benefits for all the months she was waiting, but she doesn't feel like the trial is over. She says she's using the money sparingly, just in case something like this happens again. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strempel. Petersburg School Board will meet this evening to set the upcoming school year's calendar. Superintendent Erica Klute-Painter is proposing a calendar similar to this year's. Klute-Painter will also talk about recent attendance issues. Kids have been missing many school days this year, partly for long family vacations. The school board will accept accept $75,000 of funding from Bill Newman, a.k.a. Swampy Creek Bill, who worked for three decades as an industrial arts teacher. He left the money to the school shop when he passed away four years ago. The funds will go to the high school shop program. They want to use the money to buy equipment, including bandsaws and welding gear. It will include equipment for both MIG and TIG welding, processes for welding different types and thicknesses of metals. The equipment will be bought locally. The school board will consider updating high school science credit requirements. The update would adopt changes based on the next generation science standards. Those are educational standards developed by 26 states and several national science associations. High school students would need three science credits instead of two to graduate, but it won't increase the amount of class credits needed overall. The school board will consider changing the grading system for fourth and fifth graders. Right now, fourth and fifth graders get letter grades, A through F, but the elementary school wants to move them to a skills-based assessment like the rest of the elementary school. They feel a skills-based grading system is more age-appropriate and would give a better picture to families on student performance. The policy would be implemented gradually, so current third graders would not get letter grades until they enter sixth grade. The school board will also discuss a three-year plan for the elementary school to give extra support to Alaska Native and Native American students. In last year's evaluation, the state identified that demographic group as needing extra academic help. According to the assessment, about 67% of the school's Alaska Native and Native American students need support with English and language arts, and 62% need support in math. The school says the process is extensive and they might need outside help for the required documentation. Again, the school board will meet tonight at 6 p.m. in the Middleland High School Library, KFSK will broadcast the meeting live and will post the recording on our website, kfsk.org. And stay tuned after the news for Campus Connection at 1230. It's an on-air discussion with school officials. Members of the House Fisheries Special Committee heard from the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute in Juneau last Thursday. KMXT's Brian Venua reports the latest marketing trend is showing off Alaska's sustainability. Alaska, 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 Alaska,
That's audio from an ad currently running in Japan that was commissioned by the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute, an organization that promotes the state's seafood. As ASME's executive director Jeremy Woodrow told legislators on Thursday, it's part of a new marketing campaign called "Make the Wild Choice." ASME has had to be creative as the Alaska seafood industry faces several challenges. According to Woodrow, 70% of seafood sales were from restaurants before the pandemic. Restaurants are changing. Not all the restaurants that were there before the pandemic have come back, and they're also shrinking their menus as well. So the competition to be on the menu is even more competitive than it ever has been before. The international market has also changed, according to Woodrow. Russia and the U.S. have banned imports of each other's seafood, and relations with China are now tense because of the trade war. Asmi is instead looking into other emerging markets to fill the gap. We are working on growing Southeast Asia, expanding South America, working on Eastern Europe, and exploring Africa. And inflation has made it difficult even for domestic buyers to afford Alaskan products. But Woodrow says he's hopeful and claims sustainable fisheries are the future for the seafood industry, and that Alaska is in a perfect position to grow markets. Woodrow spoke with legislators for about an hour on Thursday. His presentation also touched on Alaska's seafood diversity, the investments other countries are making in their respective markets, Asmi's educational programs, and more. The next House Fisheries Special Committee meeting is on February 14. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Venwa. White House officials said Monday that they had still not come to any conclusions about what U.S. fighter jets shot out of the skies near Dead Horse on Friday in the Yukon on Saturday or over Lake Huron on Sunday. Here's White House National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. I think we all need to be humble here in, in terms of what our ability is to positively identify stuff from fighter aircraft that are going several hundred miles an hour past, essentially, in terms of relative motion, a stationary object um, that was not very big. Kirby says these objects were not being maneuvered and didn't appear to have any self-propulsion. He says it's likely they were moving with the prevailing winds, which blow west to east. Unlike these three objects, U.S. authorities have said the first object they shot down on February 4th was a Chinese spy balloon. U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan wants more transparency from the White House. Here he is speaking to a Fox News host on Monday. So what we need right now is more information on all of these kind of incidences, so the American people have full information. I think that's going to be really important in the next few days. All three members of Alaska's congressional delegation and Governor Mike Dunleavy have made similar points in their public statements about the incursions. They also say securing Alaska's airspace is a national security imperative, and that Alaska needs a strong military presence to counter or deter neighboring adversaries. Over the years, the Inuit Circumpolar Council has nervously watched military activity increase in the Arctic. Jimmy Stotts was the organization's president and recently retired. Some of these conflicts elsewhere spilling over and into the Arctic. I'm worried about that. Relationships, particularly over there in northern Europe, the Scandinavian countries and Russia, how things there could pretty easily, I think, go sideways. He says these aerial objects may be a distraction from wider threats that come with militarizing the Arctic. The Petersburg Vikings fought hard for their lives in Metlakatla last weekend. It was their second conference game of the season, as well as their second game against the Chiefs.
both Petersburg's varsity teams lost both of their matches. The Vikings last faced off against Metlakatla during their first game of the basketball season. The Lady Vikings lost both of their games, and the boys won a single game by a three-point margin. Petersburg basketball coaches Dino and Rick Brock recognized Metlakatla as one of their team's most challenging opponents. They both praised the Chiefs and missed Chiefs for their skill and sportsmanship, but Coach Rick Brock says his boys put up a good fight. We wish we had done better, but I think Metlakatla is easily one of the top two or three teams in the state. They've been playing a very challenging schedule. We knew going in it was going to be a, a huge challenge for us. We were their first home games of the year, so the gym was full for the JV games, which doesn't typically happen. <laughs> we ran into a buzzsaw the first night. They they could not miss, and they're they're very talented. They're they're big and athletic, and it's scary when they shoot well. So you know we we haven't given up that many points. I don't think all year. You know. The Chiefs won 70 to 49 on Friday night, then 55 to 33 on Saturday night. Metlakatla's junior varsity boys also won both of their games. Metlakatla brought that same intensity into the girls' games. On Friday, the Miss Chiefs won 60 to 16. Saturday's game was closer for the Lady Vikings at 53 to 29. The junior varsity Lady Vikings also lost both of their games. Coach Dino praises his players for getting good looks and notes, fast improvements in their confidence. Miley Catla played really well. I thought that we continued to improve and played better, especially Saturday night. I thought that we played with a lot more confidence. I thought we shot the basketball well. They just shot so well all weekend long. Um, ran into a good team on one of their better nights, I think. But I was really happy with our effort, our attitude. Miley Catla people were very complimentary about how hard we played, um, how much we've improved since we played them the last time, and just the way we represented our school and community and it was just a good weekend all the way around, I thought. Following this weekend's loss, Dino says the Lady Vikings are feeling somewhat worse for wear. Nearly 10 of his players are currently out sick or are otherwise recovering from their illness. This week, Petersburg High School will host some of the final games of the season. Teams from Ketchikan and Unalaska will travel to Petersburg for a weekday tournament starting Wednesday night. The following week, the Vikings will face off against their rivals in Wrangell for their last game. For KFSK, I'm Rachel Cassandra. Coming up, we have local and marine weather.